Welcome, welcome to today, Sunday Throwback Show. So, nothing to do with politics, nothing to do with the news of the day, just talking about comic books today, Marvel Comics to be more specific. Probably we'll do another show in the future on DC Comics, but for now we're talking Marvel Comics. So, we're going to be talking about the origin and some of my favorite Marvel movies, some of my favorite um heroes in the in the universe there so if you have some favorites just go ahead and visit our website politicalbombshow.cf and leave it in our message box now let's start with the origin because i this is actually a learning process for me as well when i researched this show because i did not know that Marvel Comics had different names before they were even Marvel Comics. I always thought it was just Marvel Comics. I did not realize. So let's go through a little bit of this. Before I get to the origin, I just want to note that Marvel Comics is common, commonly uh, known in imprint as Marvel Worldwide Inc. And... Disney, Walt Disney Company, acquired Marvel Entertainment. So I just wanted to throw that out there just in case you didn't know that Disney has now acquired Marvel Entertainment. So let's start with the origin here. Marvel started in 1939 as Timely Publications. And by the early 1950s, it had generally become known as Atlas Comics. I did hear this one recently. I didn't know when I was growing up, though. The Marvel brand then began in 1961. And that is the year that the company launched the Fantastic Four. How many of you have seen the newer movies? I don't know that I like the new Fantastic Four. But then again, that wasn't done by Marvel. Which is very um, confusing, but if you follow what was going on, I believe that they didn't own the rights to it. They had sold off the right to insert some of their characters, and the Fantastic Four was one of them. I forgot who they sold it to. I want to say Fox, but I'm not sure, and I'm hoping that it was Fox because, as you know, Walt Disney won the bid. I want to say $86 billion, I think. They outbid Comcast, and so now... I believe they own Fox now, so we'll be able to see these characters get a just movie done right by Marvel. But anyway, the Fantastic Four and other superhero titles created by Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, and others. So that's um, that's a little history on there if you want to obviously read the full history you can certainly look it up but i'm just giving you like a little footnote there so you can know the the outline of the history there but as far as character goes marvel counts among its characters such well-known superheroes such as my favorite in the marvel universe has to be spider-man which is why i'm going to dedicate 
part of this segment um, talking about different things. Like, I, for instance, I did not know there were different versions of Spider-Man. I grew up with Peter Parker, and that's all I knew was Peter Parker. So when you have these other Spider-Mans coming into play that I didn't know of, well, we'll, we'll, I'm jumping ahead. Let's not talk about that right now. Let's continue here. Spider-Man, which, I, like I said, in, in this Marvel comic universe, he's my favorite. In the DC, it's Superman. He's my favorite. Batman is the second, but Superman is my favorite. So, But we're not talking DC right now. So Spider-Man, Wolverine, the Hulk. I like the Hulk too, but he's not... My Spider-Man's always been my favorite, I have to agree, in, in this universe. Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, Daredevil, Ghost Rider, Doctor Strange, Punisher, Deadpool, the Black Panthers. The Black Panther. So, what happened with that is, is they formed a team known as the Avengers, the X-Men, the Guardians of the Galaxy, and the Fantastic Four. So, um, including Doctor Doom. Now, I didn't really know who. When did I watch Doctor Doom? I don't know why I thought Doctor Doom was part of the Justice League for some reason. One of the, uh, one of the, the villains. I'm not sure why I thought that. Did anyone else think that? I don't know why I thought Doctor Doom was. I did not know he was part of the Marvel Universe. This, so this was a learning experience for me as well. But, um, yeah, I got to look I gotta look, look up Justice League and see who the, um, who the villain was. Because I don't know why for the life of me I'm thinking Doctor Doom. But anyway, and let's see, the Red Skull, the Green Goblin, Thanos, Ultron... Dr. Octopus, Magneto, Venom, and Loki. Most of Marvel's fictional characters operate in a single reality known as the Marvel Universe, with most locations mirroring real life. Most of the characters were based in New York City. So that's a little bit about that, but if I could read some of the origins of some of the characters, but it would take too long. So that's why I'm only gonna gonna talk about my favorite Spider-Man. I really did not know that he um that he had so many different reincarnations, including an African American one, which I saw I did see in the movie theater, which I was I guess I was thrown back by it. I saw uh, previews coming I saw this guy this, this black Spider-Man I was like what is this this is all wrong I don't understand but it is not all wrong I guess that's a that's one version of him so anyway let's keep Pulp Magazine publisher Martin Goodman founded the company later known as Marvel Comics under the name Timely Publications in 1939. Goodman, who had started with a Western pulp in 1933, was expanding into the emerging and by then already highly popular new medium of comic books. 
when I was growing up, I didn't get to read as many comics books as I wanted to because I was, we were poor, so I could. The most of the comics book that I could remember and it was Archie. And I don't know if you probably you guys don't even know who Archie is as a comic, but that's were one of the only comic books I was able to get my hands on. But anyway, so launching his new line from his existing companies. Offices, uh, who cares about where this is, blah, blah, blah. Timely first publication, Marvel Comics number one, was dated October 1939, and it included the first appearance of Carl Borges, android superhero, The Human Torch, and the first appearance of Bill Everett's anti-hero, Neymar, the sub sub what is this submariner, among other features. The issue was a great success, so it was definitely a great success. Blah blah blah. The company first true editor artist was Joe Simon Simon, and the t with the artist. Jack Kirby to create one of the first patriotic theme superhero. Everyone knows who that is. Need I say it? You know, come on, say it. Captain America. Captain America. Comic number one was it March nineteen forty one. Not March nineteen forty. I wasn't even born yet. <laughs> so this is why a lot of this stuff I don't know as well. So I'm just like many of you there. I have no idea. So, um, let's see here. What else? There's a lot going on here. But I'm not going to bore you by reading reading all this, like, Atlas comics, and then they have a little history behind that. So I'm just going to take a break, and following the break, I'm going to play a Spider-Man clip. Basically... Ten or nine lies that you were you were told about Spider-Man. That's not actually true. I'll be right back. Political bombshell. Um, honey. Yes, dear. Have you heard about this new podcast? Yes, dear. Okay. First off, it's all about Lost Soul. I do not know that. Maybe you know about Lost Souls or not, but I'm a pretty good expert at uh, Lost Souls. Well, I think that you should advertise your business on there. Honey, I'm already there. I'm at advertisecast.com forward slash 3318. Advertisecast.com forward slash 3318. Grow your business today. Advertise on America's exciting radio podcast. AdvertiseCast.com forward slash 3318. That's AdvertiseCast.com forward slash 3318. 
the symbiote suit made Spidey stronger. While it's commonly thought that the alien symbiote that bonded with Peter Parker and eventually became Venom made him stronger, faster, and took away his morals, did the ooze actually upgrade my spiderness? This isn't true. Spider-Man's symbiote actually only gave him organic webbing and a telepathic connection from Spidey to the suit. Most of what's commonly depicted in alien costume adaptations now, including Spider-Man 3, largely comes from the additions made by the hugely influential animated TV show in the 90s. Eventually, these ideas crossed back into the comics with Ultimate Spider-Man by Brian Michael Bendis. The idea of the alien costume crash landing on a meteorite, or otherwise being transported from space to Earth, is also something that only happens in adaptations. The suit originally bonded to Peter during the Secret Wars saga, and was actually influenced heavily by Deadpool as its attempted bond with Deadpool served to make the symbiote more insane. Peter ditches the suit not because it's corrupting his morals, but because it was trying to permanently bond with him. Hair on his fingers stick him to walls. This myth probably makes more sense than its explanation. While it's commonly believed that Spider-Man clings to walls via hairs on his fingers the same way that an actual spider does, the truth is a lot weirder. 616 Spider-Man uses an electrostatic force to cling to objects. He subconsciously has mental control over the attraction between molecular boundary layers. In English, this means that he sticks to walls because he's using the force of attraction between molecules, meaning that if he were more aware of it, he would be able to stick any part of his body to any wall. The first Spider-Man movie instead chooses to explain it via the genetically altered spider's bite, rewriting his DNA and giving him small micro hairs on the tips of his fingers, which makes more sense in some areas and less in others. On one hand, it makes more sense that a spider could make you more like it, rather than give you a random power that just so happened to be spider-like. On the other hand, it makes you wonder how he can grip walls while in the suit. Peter let the robber go out of revenge. One of the most common depictions of Spider-Man is him letting the robber, who would ultimately kill Uncle Ben, go out of revenge. Most depictions show someone giving him a hard time and him refusing to help them. Can't afford your milk, just step aside. In the Sam Raimi original, Spidey refuses to stop the robber because his wrestling promoter deliberately paid him less than he had earned. I missed the part where that's my problem. The Mark Webb reboot, however, is more similar to Peter's reasoning in the comic. He just didn't want to get involved. His laziness and lack of responsibility gets his uncle killed, and it's his fault. Some adaptations try to make Peter less at fault for not helping, but this ultimately undermines a lot of the point of the character. Silly spider, cats always land on their feet. Black Cat is a Catwoman ripoff. Stop us if you've heard this one. A cat-themed cat burglar acts as a femme fatale love interest for a superhero who's attracted to them despite them both often being on opposite sides of the law. While it's true Black Cat on paper sounds a lot like Catwoman, in actuality, they're not that similar. Not only does Black Cat have more in common with myths surrounding cats, but she wasn't even intended to be a parallel to Catwoman, nor was she based off of her. And hide the shame I feel. Black Cat's creator originally planned for Black Cat to be a spider woman antagonist. She was never supposed to be in Spider-Man when originally created. In fact, she was actually based off the Tex Avery cartoon, Bad Luck Blackie, in which the cat gives bad luck to those who get too close, which is exactly what Black Cat does. He never had organic webbing. While organic webbing was originally a trait only held by the symbiote suit, Spider-Man did have organic webbing of his own accord in the comic books. Due to the success of the Sam Raimi movies, Marvel decided to mimic their interpretation of Spider-Man's powers, opting to give him organic webbing in a storyline that didn't completely add up. 
Spider-Man had organic webbing for quite a long period of time in the comic books, although he's now currently back with his web shooter. A lot of fans didn't like the change, and it was an early sign of Marvel being far too willing to change their comics in order to fit with their movies better. You're acting so strangely, Peter. Peter and Aunt May are related. Aunt May is one of the most important supporting characters in the Spider-Man comics. While Peter Parker's girlfriends have come and gone, Aunt May has been a constant. Her parental love for Peter has been ever-present over the years, and what makes it all the more touching is that it endures in spite of the fact they're not actually related at all. I know. While Uncle Ben was related to Peter, being his father's brother, Aunt May is only related to Peter by marriage, and now legally they aren't related at all. But she doesn't care. She raised a child that wasn't even slightly her own and loved him like a son, which is a huge part of what makes her such a wonderful character. He met Harry, Gwen, and MJ in high school. Surely with all these new depictions of Peter meeting Gwen, MJ, and Harry in high school, they must have known each other since they were kids, right? Well, not quite. While cartoons and movie adaptations show these characters as all being friends as teenagers, this is only really true in the Ultimate Universe. The original Peter Parker didn't meet any of these guys until he was college-aged. While the depiction of these characters all in school together is certainly fun, with Peter having to juggle his social life with his superhero career, the comics weren't exactly like that. It was once Peter finally left high school and started attending college that the real Archie-inspired drama began, with love triangles and bad guys galore. Remember, with great power comes great responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, he never said it. Sorry to break it to you, but while the quote has been attributed to Uncle Ben in every single adaptation we can think of, and while it was later attributed to him in the comics, Uncle Ben never says with great power comes great responsibility. In fact, that's not even the quote. The actual quote comes from Stan Lee as the narrator saying with great power there must also come great responsibility. The line is pretty hammy today, but it perfectly sums up Spider-Man as a character. Is that understood? It's now attributed to Uncle Ben, which is great. After all, it makes sense that the advice would come from his mentor and father figure. But he originally never said it. Sorry to be a party pooper. I'm Peter Parker. Tobey Maguire was the first live-action Spidey. While Tobey Maguire is usually considered the first actor to play the role of Spider-Man, this isn't true. Oh no, go on. Would I know his name? In fact, Nicholas Hammond, star of the 1970s TV series and its three made-for-TV movies, wasn't even the first man to play the wall crawler in live action either. Though, he was the first to star in a cinematically released Spider-Man movie with the UK release of the original 1977 made-for-TV movie. The first live actor to play Spider-Man was actually Danny Seagren, who portrayed the web-slinger in the PBS skit series Spidey Super Stories. The show was aimed at young children and encouraged them to read. As a result, Seagren never gave Spider-Man a voice, but he was the first to play the character on screen when the show debuted in 1974. You'll think I'm a stupid little girl with a crush. So, some of these I, I uh, actually bought into the lie, like the way how he became stronger by the suit and I thought that he could crawl up walls because of the hairs on his, uh, on his skin, but turn, turns out that wasn't the case. How many of these lies did you buy into? Did you buy into any of them at all? Was I the only one? So, um, speaking of which, I, um, yesterday I experienced um, arena football for the first time, and happy to say my team won. I, I don't really have a team, but that's the, you know, the local team, so I call it my team, Massachusetts Pirates. It was a blowout. It was like 
53 to 34, I believe the end score was it. And two person on one person on our team got injured as far as another one on their team got injured. But the game was overall was amazing. The atmosphere was great. If 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 you ask me if it's something I'm going to do again, absolutely. I was really happy with everything. And even before I went, I believe I tweeted this out or or on Instagram, I'm not sure, but I said I I'm going to be going to an arena football game and it's going to be great that no one's going to be staying in the locker rooms and no one's going to be taking a knee doing the national anthem. So I pre I said that before I went. I was pretty confident that wasn't going to happen and I'm happy to report that that did not happen. Everyone stood up, everyone came out, everyone stood up for the national anthem. No one took a knee, so that was very uh very good to see. So because that was going to be a deal breaker for me just like football is. I don't watch it anymore because of that. And if you you're going to stay in the locker room and not taking, you know, basically staying in the locker room and or coming out and taking a knee, it means the same thing to me. It's still they're both disrespectful. So, I'm going to continue to not watch. So, that's just my take on it. I don't care. It's my time. My time is valuable. And I'm going to do with my time what I want to do with my time. You're not going to force me to do something that I don't want to do. So anyway, the game was amazing. And definitely had a great time. And I believe the next home game is in July. So I'm going to definitely try to go out and uh, and show some love. And for the first time ever, and I don't, I don't really go to many sporting events, but for the first time ever, I caught... A t-shirt. Well, I didn't really catch it. It was kind of, kind of crazy how it happened. So I was sitting behind this father and the son were standing up. They wanted to get the t-shirt so badly, and the t-shirt was shot by Darth Vader, and he, um, the father, made a play to catch it. It bounced off of him and landed right next to me. I was sitting down. I wasn't even trying to get one. It landed right next to me. So I guess it was meant to be mine. I mean the the poor kid. I just, I looked into his eyes. I could see the he was so sad and disappointed that he didn't get the t-shirt. And in my mind, I was like, I should give him the t-shirt. But then I was like, you know what? He's gotta learn that in life, there's there's some winners and some losers. And that's all right if you're a loser this time. You can win next time. Everyone can't be a winner. And so I decided not to give him the t-shirt anyway, and I kept it. So. I think I'll wear that in July if I'm able to attend again. I will um and the tickets are reasonable so there's no reason for me not to attend. I don't of course I don't like the hour drive to get there but still if it's worth it's worth it. It was a great time. So anyway, I got way off track there talking about that. Let's get back to what you uh you clicked on the podcast for. You wanted to know the origin of Marvel Comics, so, um, let's see, so I don't want to talk about the DC, like I said, Superman is my favorite in DC, but, uh, Howard the Duck, I remember, I did not know that, that he was even part of, um, of the Marvel Universe, I forget which movie I went to watch, and um, at the end, 
they showed Howard the Duck there, I didn't really didn't really put it in my head that he's part of the Marvel Universe. So I mean there's the universe is huge. There's so many uh there's so many characters in that universe. It's hard to hard for me to know who's actually in there. It's a lot. And um what else could I say about this? Well, many of you um millennials, you don't even read the comics. That's another thing. I went to Comic-Con. Let's see, it's 2018 now, so it might have been in 2016, maybe? No, was it 16? Or even late, earlier than that, maybe 2015. I went to Comic-Con, and who I, I dressed up as uh, Star-Lord, so that was pretty cool. I got a lot of props. People even took pictures with me. I went all out. So, um, but what I noticed is that there were there weren't many young kids there. So I'm wondering, are kids do kids even read comics or they just watch the movies and they just like superhero movies, so they just go and watch them, or do they read the comics and and watch the movies? That's a a question that I have. So if any kids listening to this podcast, I'd like to know if you're a comic book reader whether it be a electronic form or paper form. And I'd like to know, you can leave a message on our message board, politicalbombshow.cf, leave a message there. I'm just curious because when I went to the Comic-Con 2015, I only saw maybe the youngest was 18, if if that, probably 20 and up. And so I was, I'm just, I was just wondering, do anyone... You know, as far as kids like eighteen and younger, do you read comics at all, or you just, or, or what about the animated series? Do you watch them at all, or it's just the movies? That's, I'm just curious about that, because when I go to the movies, which I'm a huge movie fan of Marvel versus DC. DC movies have been sucking. I mean, they need to do something. Otherwise, I'm not gonna spend any money to go watch them. Flop after flop after flop. Justice League was horrible, horrendous. And that was supposed to be the rival for the Avengers? Forget it. Doesn't even come close. Anyway, um, when I go to the movie theater, I see a lot of kids there. So I'm just wondering if you are just fans of the movies or both. And so for fans of the movies, I just want to run you through... 10 years of movies from the universe, just in case you don't know about the history. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is only 10 years old, but its events span the entirety of time and space. It can be very hard to keep track of, so with Thanos' assault on Earth right around the corner, let's put the MCU's timeline into chronological order. We're going to be keeping our timeline focused on the films, as the events of the various television shows almost never come into play on the big screen. So, spoiler warning for the last 10 years worth of Marvel movies, here we go. The MCU's timeline starts long before the universe even began, when six powerful singularities existed. After the Big Bang, these singularities were forged into stones, infinity stones. Yep, those little ingots that are causing such a big fuss nowadays got their start before there was even light. It was also out of that darkness that the sinister Dark Elves were born. Millennia ago, King Bor of Asgard battles Malekith, the leader of the Dark Elves. Bor defeats Malekith and hides the Aether, or the Reality Stone. 
Then, in a time period we can best describe as long ago, King Bor's son and successor Odin reaches beyond Asgard and takes over the Nine Realms, with the help of his firstborn Hela. But after her appetites become too violent, Odin imprisons Hela. Somewhere in this vague, long ago time period, the Valkyrie are also sent to fight back Hela when she attempts to escape Odin's exile. All the Valkyrie but one, who would later be known as Scrapper 142, are killed in the attack. Also in the category of long ago, a meteorite made of vibranium, the stuff that made this and this, crashes in Africa, giving rise to the technologically advanced isolationist nation of Wakanda. Next, we finally get a solid date. In 965 AD, Odin battles the Frost Giants, defeating their leader Laufey and finding Loki as a baby on the frostbitten Jotunheim. Let's get past the Renaissance and the rise of Western civilization and get to the good stuff, the 20th century. In 1942, Nazi scientist Johann Schmidt, the Red Skull, marches with his Hydra forces into Tonsberg, Norway, the site of Odin's battle with the Frost Giants a thousand years prior, and finds the Tesseract, or the Space Stone, hidden in a church. It's in the same year that the puny yet persistent Steve Rogers becomes Captain America with the help of Dr. Erskine's Super Soldier Serum and Howard Stark's technology, and begins his USO tour as the Star Spangled Man with the plan. But Cap's not content to remain a song and dance man and quickly joins the fight against Hydra. Over the next two or three years, Cap battles Red Skull and Hydra. Though his best friend Bucky Barnes is seemingly killed in action, Cap successfully thwarts Red Skull's plan to attack the United States, crashing his bomber into the Arctic Ocean in 1945. Cap's sacrifice spurs the founding of the strategic homeland, uh, you know what, no one said it out loud since Iron Man 1 came out, SHIELD. Cap sacrifices the inspiration for the foundation of SHIELD. Cap had a SHIELD, SHIELD. Get it? Good. Moving on. Jumping forward to 1980, Ego, a powerful cosmic being known as a celestial, travels to Earth. He finds love with Meredith Quill in Missouri and plants his seed. Ooh, no, he, his weird alien flower. No, no, that's still uncomfortable. This thing. He puts this thing in the ground behind a Dairy Queen, which is the most important royal member of the MCU. Sorry, King Cat and Thunder Prince. Later in the 80s, S.H.I.E.L.D. operative and physicist Hank Pym, also known as Ant-Man, uses his shrinking suit technology to try and disarm a Soviet missile en route to the United States. Unable to get through the missile's shell, Hank's wife and partner in crime fighting, Janet Van Dyne, uses her own suit to enter the quantum realm to phase through and disarm it. Janet succeeds, but is stranded in the subatomic space. In 1988, Ego's offspring Peter Quill watches his mother Meredith die from a brain tumor, only to immediately be abducted by a spaceship outside the hospital. Just a real rough day for that kid. A year after that, in 1989, Hank Pym quits his post as consultant-slash-hero for S.H.I.E.L.D. after they pressure him to share the secrets behind the Pym particles that make his Ant-Man suit work. Two years later, in 1991, Hydra assassin the Winter Soldier carries out the assassination of Howard and Maria Stark. But guess what, kids? The Winter Soldier is Bucky Barnes, who was recovered and brainwashed by the Russians after his fall back in 1945. Moving ahead to 1999, Tony Stark meets scientist Aldrich Killian on New Year's Eve, blowing Killian off by promising to meet him on the roof at midnight. He also meets a man named Ho Yinsen that night, but he forgets this encounter until several years later. A few years later, world-renowned smart guy Bruce Banner blasts himself with gamma radiation while working on a new version of the Super Soldier Serum that turns Steve Rogers into Captain America, transforming Banner into the Incredible Hulk. Banner spends the next few years bouncing around the world, evading the pursuits of General Thunderbolt Ross. He's spotted intermittently in surveillance footage and news clippings in 2004, 2006, and 2007. 
In 2008, Tony Stark is kidnapped while demoing a new weapon for the U.S. Army in Afghanistan. After spending months held captive with Ho Yinsen, whom he doesn't remember meeting, Stark escapes, makes it back home, and begins his journey as Iron Man, ending Stark Industries' weapons program and defeating Obadiah Stane, his mentor who secretly orchestrated his kidnapping in an attempted coup. The MCU as we know it hinges on one single event here in 2008, when Tony Stark says those four magic words. I am Iron Man. It's then that S.H.I.E.L.D. director Nick Fury approaches Stark, informing him of his nascent global protection program, the Avengers Initiative. Physicist and Stark family hater Ivan Vanko watches that news conference and decides to begin work on his own arc reactor, the super-powered gizmo in Tony's chest that powers all his suits. Six months later, Vanko takes his new tech out for a spin and attacks Tony at the Grand Prix in Monaco, proving that the Iron Man is not actually invincible. Now we're coming up on what's known as Nick Fury's Big Week, so named because Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. are super busy recruiting for the Avengers Initiative. The events of Iron Man 2, The Incredible Hulk, Thor, and the final scene of Captain America the First Avenger all take place in the same week. After being banished by his father Odin, Thor and his hammer land in New Mexico so he can learn him some humanity, Hulk fights the botched super soldier Abomination in Harlem, Cap is discovered in the Arctic ice, and Tony and his super best pal Rhodey defeat Vanko and his drones all during the same week in 2009. Cap wakes up in a fake hospital room inside a S.H.I.E.L.D. facility. We've all had those mornings, am I right? Thor just, I don't know, stands here with Heimdall looking at Natalie Portman, but meanwhile Loki continues to influence Eric Selvig in his work on the Tesseract. In 2012, Loki arrives on Earth and swipes the Tesseract on the orders of the mad titan Thanos, sitting on his throne overlooking the cosmos. We think. More on that indecisiveness later. In return for the Tesseract, Thanos has given Loki an army to take over Earth. I have an army. We have a Hulk. But thanks to the Avengers assembling for the first time for the Battle of New York, Loki's invasion doesn't work out. It does, however, announce to the world that both aliens and gods for sure exist. The other thing it does is create job opportunities for salvage companies like the one run by Adrian Toomes. At least, that's what Toomes thought until the government-operated cleanup crew came in and took over. An embittered Toomes decides, screw it, I'm gonna be a bad guy. A vulture. In 2013, Tony Stark is suffering from PTSD as a result of the Battle of New York, but he overcomes that to battle a terrorist ringleader known as the Mandarin, who first turns out to be a drunk Ben Kingsley, but is actually Tony's old acquaintance, Aldrich Killian. Meanwhile, Thor is cleaning up Loki's mess. After restoring peace to the Nine Realms, he battles a resurgent Malekith and his Dark Elves. As the Nine Realms converge, which for the record is a bad thing, Thor returns to Earth when his girlfriend Jane Foster discovers the Aether. Thor defeats Malekith and turns down his father's offer to take the throne, but unbeknownst to Thor, Loki has banished Odin and taken his place as the ruler of Asgard. A year later, back on Earth, Captain America is operating as an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. But when Hydra unleashes the Winter Soldier as part of their plan to overthrow S.H.I.E.L.D., Cap's old-school sense of right and wrong is shaken. By the way, Hydra infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D.'s ranks like years ago, and they are this close to taking over the world when Cap does what he does best and brings their big flying machines down along with S.H.I.E.L.D. itself. Meanwhile, on the other side of the galaxy, a grown-up Peter Quill meets Gamora, Rocket, Groot, and Drax. The group of criminals are swept up in a plot by the Kree warmonger Ronan, who's attempting to deliver an artifact known as the Orb to Thanos in return for the destruction of Xandar, a civilization the Kree have warred with for a thousand years. Quill's gang meet the Collector, a very eccentric and very blonde Benicio del Toro, who explains the orb they're carrying is in fact an Infinity Stone, the Power Stone to be precise. They use that power to defeat Ronan, rebranding themselves as the Guardians of the Galaxy. 
Just a few months later, Peter Quill meets his dad, Ego, who is not so de-aged anymore, and the rest of the Guardians learn about the true nature of family, partially thanks to a great Cat Stevens song on the Zoom. So yeah, Ego tries to take over thousands of planets at the same time, Star-Lord turns into Pac-Man and kills him. Back on Earth, the Avengers finally track down Loki's Scepter, a weapon that had been lost since S.H.I.E.L.D. collapsed the year before. After analyzing the scepter, Tony unwittingly uses it to create Ultron, who in turn cracks open the scepter to reveal the Mind Stone. The Avengers recover the stone, and science bros Tony and Bruce, with a little assist from some Asgardian lightning, use its power to create the android Vision. And while they end up defeating Ultron, they do drop an entire Eastern European city out of the sky in the process. As the dust settles in Sokovia, Thor sets off through the cosmos to investigate the sudden re-emergence of the Infinity Stones, and Tony steps back from active duty with the Avengers, leaving Cap in charge of a new Avengers lineup. Also around that time, Hank Pym recruits Scott Lang, a cat burglar and electrical engineer, to be the new Ant-Man. As Ant-Man is coming into his own with Hank Pym and his daughter Hope Van Dyne, a vengeful Sokovian named Helmut Zemo enacts a plan to destroy the Avengers from the inside. After a bungled mission leaves several people dead, the Avengers are pressured to sign away their autonomy in the Sokovia Accords. Zemo attacks the United Nations Summit, at which the Accords will be signed, resulting in the death of King T'Chaka of Wakanda. Zemo frames Bucky for the attack, putting him directly in the sights of King T'Chaka's son, Prince T'Challa, who currently holds the mantle of the Black Panther, Wakanda's super-powered ancestral protector. At this point, the Avengers split into two factions, those in favor of signing the Accords and those against. Cap and Falcon capture and interrogate Bucky, while Tony travels to Queens to recruit Peter Parker, fighting crime as Spider-Man for the last few months. Hawkeye comes out of his post-Age of Ultron retirement and rallies troops for Team Cap, including Wanda Maximoff and a very groggy Scott Lang. Both sides collide in a pretty boss battle sequence at an airport in Germany. This confrontation, which cripples Rhodey, leaves Cap and Iron Man even more divided, and that's before Tony finds out it was Bucky that killed his parents during his Winter Soldier days. Captain America goes off the grid and breaks Clint, Scott, Sam, and Wanda out of jail. Tony moves back into Avengers HQ in upstate New York. A week later, T'Challa heads back to Wakanda to become king and is immediately put to the test by a ghost from his father's past. You see, decades ago, King T'Chaka was forced to kill his brother for helping arms dealer Ulysses Claw steal Wakandan vibranium, orphaning and abandoning his nephew Eric. But Eric has grown into a warrior in his own right, known by his nickname Killmonger, who returns to Wakanda and defeats T'Challa in ritual combat, taking both the throne and the mantle of Black Panther. But T'Challa survives the fight, and after battling both physically and ideologically with Killmonger and his plan to spread Wakandan weapons to the oppressed people of the world, T'Challa regains the throne and, seeing that Killmonger was at least partially right about Wakanda needing to have a presence on the global stage, lifts Wakanda's centuries-old policy of isolation. Two months later, we return to Queens, where Peter Parker is impatiently waiting for Tony to call him for the next mission. Just like a kid, he bites off more than he can chew while fighting Adrian Toomes and his black market weapons business. You remember Adrian Toomes, the guy that got shut down by the government just for trying to clean up after the Battle of New York. Well, here's where all that timeline indecisiveness we mentioned earlier is coming from. A title card tells us Spider-Man Homecoming takes place eight years after the events of the first Avengers film, which, as a reminder, took place in 2012. On the surface, that seems, well, impossible. So there's a handful of options to explain this. Number one, Spider-Man, Ant-Man, Civil War, and Black Panther all take place in 2020, which just shifts the entire timeline four years, but makes some earlier dates incorrect. Two, it was a legit honest mistake that made it all the way to the release of the film, and really the title card should have just read four years later. Or three, it's all an elaborate ruse, and once Thanos gets the Infinity Gauntlet working, he's going to retcon the entire timeline. 
Personally, I think it's number two, but I'm also sort of rooting for number three because it would be chaos. This plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. But before we leave 2016 for good, we have to check in with world-renowned surgeon Dr. Strange. After an accident leaves his career in tatters, he travels to Camertage and trains in the mystic arts. During his time there, he masters the Eye of Agamotto, which houses the Time Stone, and uses it to defeat Kaecilius and Dormammu, which takes us into 2017. Elsewhere, Thor finds himself imprisoned by the fire demon Surtur while still on the hunt for the Infinity Stones, though that search has taken a detour in the name of preventing the prophesied destruction of Asgard known as Ragnarok. The rest of the events of Thor Ragnarok play out in real time, including finding Banner in the Contest of Champions on Sakaar, then returning to Asgard with the <coughs> Revengers to actually cause Ragnarok instead of preventing it, thus stopping Hela from using Asgard's power to conquer the Nine Realms. As the refugees of Asgard flee their destroyed home, they are confronted by the Sanctuary 2, the flagship of Thanos. And that brings us to Avengers Infinity War. We've got Thanos actively looking to fill up his Infinity Gauntlet, and we know the whereabouts of five of the six Infinity Stones. The Space Stone is on the Asgardian Ark with Loki, the Reality Stone is with the Collector wherever he is these days, the Power Stone is locked away on Xandar, the Time Stone is around Doctor Strange's neck, and the Mind Stone is embedded in Vision's forehead, at least for now. As for the Soul Stone, we'll have to wait until Infinity War to find out. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the MCU in chronological order. And that is the origin of the Marvel comic universe in the theater. And of course, we've all by now already knows what's happened because we've all seen Infinity, Infinity Wars by now two times. In some cases, like an acquaintance Scott of mine, three times. So if you haven't seen it, what are you waiting for? It's one of the best movies ever, man. It's better than all the other Avengers, just in my opinion. I love it. Absolutely love it. I can see why some people have seen it three times, like Scott, but... It's an amazing movie. Really, it really is. It's really. Um, it was. I didn't know how it was going to be done with all these characters that they're going to have in the movie, and I still don't. I'm not going to give any spoilers because maybe there's some of you who just don't go to the movies because you can't afford to. You wait for it to go in Redbox or, you know, on um, or on TV or whatever. But. Um, so I'm not not going to give any spoilers, but wow, you missed one. There's some movies that I can wait for and others that's a must, you know, must see. And that was definitely a must see. I thought that um, Justice League was supposed to be a must see. But honestly, if they made a Justice League 2, I'm not going. There's no way I'm going to go see it. I'm even going as far as to say... If you gave me a free ticket, I'm probably still not going to go. That's how horrible it was. It was atrocious. It was the worst filth I've ever seen. They bought the, I mean, some of the, the some of the, uh, what do you call the CGI's? Oh my goodness. I've seen better CGI's in a video game. That's how bad it was. It was horrendous. At certain parts, I was looking at the movie and saying, am I watching a video game? What is this? This looks ridiculous. I don't know. Yeah, it just, it was horrible. Does any, did, did anyone out there think that it was as good as the Avengers? If so, leave me a comment in my message box on politicalbombstore.cf. I want to know who's out there that actually thought that Justice League is in the same arena as the Avengers. 
not even close. I'll tell you what, if you believe that, I'll sell you a building for, <laughs> for, it's just crazy. Anyway, um, I want to talk about where the Avengers began because I didn't know about the backstory about uh, the Avengers and why all these things are happening. And so when I come back from the break, I'm going to play a clip called Every Avenger, Everything Avenger, Every Avenger Ever. And, um, and it's probably going to exclude Infinity Wars, but but every one, every one of them, as, even from the comic books, and this will make sense as to why cer certain things are happening. And this was also, you know, a learning experience for me too because I didn't know all these things. So when we come back, I'm going to jump right into that. Political bombshell. Um, honey? Yes, dear? Have you heard about this new podcast? Yes, dear. Okay, first off, it's all about Lost Soul. I do not know that maybe you know about Lost Souls or not, but I'm a pretty good expert at uh, Lost Souls. Well, I think that you should advertise your business on there. Honey, I'm already there. I'm at advertisecast.com forward slash 3318. Advertisecast.com forward slash 3318. Grow your business today. Advertise on America's exciting radio podcast. AdvertiseCast.com forward slash 3318. That's AdvertiseCast.com forward slash 3318. The Avengers were created in 1963 by Marvel Comics legends Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Consisting of characters that had already debuted in their own standalone titles, the original lineup included Iron Man, Thor, the Hulk, Ant-Man, and the Wasp. The team, dubbed Earth's Mightiest Heroes, first formed in response to a threat from Loki. After defeating the Asgardian villain, the five founding members pledged to combine their special powers and unite for the greater good. Unlike in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, however, neither S.H.I.E.L.D. nor Nick Fury had anything to do with the creation of the team. In what would become standard operating procedure for the Avengers, the lineup began to change right away. The Hulk left by issue 2, Ant-Man became Giant Man, and Captain America joined in Avengers No. 4. Cap had first debuted in 1941, before Marvel Comics was even called Marvel Comics. Lee and Kirby were reintroducing an old popular favorite. By 1965, the first major overhaul of the membership occurred. Everyone but Cap stepped down, with new members Hawkeye, Quicksilver, and the Scarlet Witch joining. This incarnation dubbed Cap's Kooky Quartet was interesting in that the new Avengers had all previously played the role of villains. Hawkeye's mentor, the Swordsman, soon joined as well, for just one issue. His membership turned out to be a ruse by the Iron Man villain, the Mandarin. Though, he would rejoin the team in 1973 as a full-fledged member and hero. In the late 60s, founding members would return to the fold and then leave again, even while new heroes continued to join. This included the Olympian Hercules and the first mainstream superhero of color, the Black Panther, who had earlier debuted in the Fantastic Four. Writer Roy Thomas also introduced the android Avenger, The Vision, and the Black Knight during this period. 
Many of Thomas's stories were drawn by the artist John Buscema, and together they brought a grand sense of the mythological to the book, as well as a more adult sensibility. As the team entered the 1970s, such characters as Black Widow would become long-lasting members, while others such as the time-traveling cowboy, the two-gun kid, and Mantis enjoyed shorter terms of service. The 70s also introduced a few very influential storylines, such as the cosmic epic The Kree Skrull War, and writer Jim Shooter's stories like The Bride of Ultron and The Korvac Saga. The fight against Michael Korvac was another huge adventure for the team that utilized virtually every Avenger past and present up to that point, as well as the original Guardians of the Galaxy. Later on, notable additions to the team were Wonder Man in 1977 and Carol Danvers in 1979. At the time, she was still operating under the Miss Marvel guise and was several decades away from becoming Captain Marvel. Another character that Marvel movie watchers may recognize is the Falcon. Captain America's partner from the era. The early 80s saw a number of women join the team. Women like Tigra, who started out as a human crime fighter named the Cat, but eventually transformed with the help of sorcery. Bruce Banner's cousin, Jennifer Walters, who became the She-Hulk after a blood transfusion with Bruce's blood. And an all-new Captain Marvel named Monica Rambeau, who later went by the names Photon and Spectrum. In 1984, the first of what would eventually be many offshoots of the main Avengers team arrived when the Vision suggested the creation of the West Coast Avengers. Hawkeye led the first iteration of this team, which also drafted new members like his wife Mockingbird, aka former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Bobby Morse, and Tony Stark's friend James Rhodes, who was serving as Iron Man at the time. Rhodes would later become War Machine, and even later Iron Patriot. Other characters would also join the different Avengers teams around this time. Namor finally joined up with the Avengers, while Thing joined the West Coast Avengers. Both teams would operate simultaneously for a decade, each acquiring new heroes for their respective and, at times, interchangeable lineups. But in the East Coast book, the team fell on hard times during the Under Siege story that began in 1986 under the writer Roger Stern. As the main Avengers book approached its 300th issue, the East Coast group's downward spiral culminated with the entire team disbanding in 1988. Of course, the Avengers couldn't stay apart for long, and soon Steve Rogers, known at the time simply as the Captain, built a new team that included Reed and Sue Richards from the Fantastic Four, as well as Gilgamesh, the hero of legend. Speaking of the Captain, when Rogers gave up the Captain American name, the mantle was passed over to John Walker who eventually became the U.S. agent. The decade was rounded out with the additions of both Quasar and the Human Torch. This Human Torch was not Johnny Storm, but rather a character that first appeared in 1939. In the year 1990, the longtime Eternal named Cersei became an Avenger, but the most notable addition was none other than your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. However, his membership was short-lived. Captain America eventually decided that Spidey wasn't quite yet ready for the team and was more suited for solo crime fighting. But of course, Spider-Man would eventually become a major player for Earth's Mightiest. Other new members around this time were very diverse, such as former Spidey villain Sandman. The original Avengers comic came to an end in 1996 after the Onslaught storyline temporarily sent the heroes to an alternate dimension created by Reed and Sue Richards' son, Franklin, but led to a new line of comics labeled Heroes Reborn. This series featured updated origins for all the heroes and was handled by two former Marvel employees, Rob Liefeld and Jim Lee. Within a year, however, the characters returned to the mainstream Marvel reality known as the Earth-616 continuity. And the 90s were closed out with Avengers Volume 3 launching and just two new heroes joining the team, 
the former New Warriors, Justice, and Firestar. The early 2000s became a major turning point for the Avengers. The Avengers disassembled crossover event saw the temporary deaths of several characters such as Hawkeye and Vision and the ultimate destruction of the Avengers Mansion. Two new recruits played an important part during these events. Jack of Hearts, a character who first appeared in 1976 and had spent many of his earlier adventures in outer space, and the former burglar-turned-superhero Scott Lang, also known as the second Ant-Man. It was revealed that the Scarlet Witch was losing control of her reality-warping powers, which led to a zombified Jack of Hearts exploding, killing Ant-Man and destroying the mansion in the process. Wanda was eventually taken away by her father Magneto, but due to the devastation, the Avengers were forced to disband once again. Of course, a new team would rise from the ashes. Writer Brian Michael Bendis, who was a major force behind the disassembled story, launched the appropriately titled New Avengers. Here, Cap and Iron Man drafted new members like Luke Cage and the X-Man Wolverine. The disassembled storyline also led to the creation of the Young Avengers. Although they didn't quite have full Avengers status, this team of superpowered teenagers still played an important part in defending the world. In the later 2000s, the famed Civil War storyline saw the superheroes fighting amongst themselves when Steve Rogers and Tony Stark disagreed over how to respond to the U.S. government's Superhero Registration Act. A new New Avengers formed, now an underground team led by Cage with longtime Marvel hero Doctor Strange finally joining Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Meanwhile, Stark created his own team, the Mighty Avengers, with many longtime members joining him as well as the Olympian, Ares. Civil War ended with the arrest and eventual assassination of Captain America, part of a larger plot orchestrated by the Red Skull. However, Bucky Barnes decided to honor his longtime friend by becoming the new Captain America. Of course, the original Cap, Steve Rogers, would later be revived. During the final big crossover of this time, Secret Invasion, numerous characters like Spider-Woman turned out to be shape-shifting alien scrolls. This was a big revelation, especially since Spider-Woman had served as an active Avenger in the past, but thankfully, the real Spider-Woman ultimately became an Avenger after the Skrulls were defeated. The fallout of Secret Invasion also led to the villain Norman Osborn creating the Dark Avengers, though the general public did not know that this fake team was composed of several bad guys posing as heroes. In 2010, the Secret Avengers debuted, depicting a covert organization of heroes led by former Captain America Steve Rogers. This Black Ops team was partly created to clean up the mess that Norman Osborn made when he was in power. Around the same time, Marvel also launched Heroic Age, an attempt to return the characters to a grander mission of heroics after the darker storylines of the past several years. A fourth volume of the original Avengers comic started in 2010, involving a time travel story about the fight between longtime villain Ultron and the possible future children of the Avengers. New Avengers also kicked off a second volume during this time with a brand new team and a storyline that involved the powerful, mystical item called the Eye of Agamotto. More classic Marvel characters would join the ever-growing lineup, including the likes of the Man Without Fear, Daredevil, and Storm, who also happened to be married to fellow Avenger Black Panther. Of course, things started to escalate during the Avengers vs. X-Men storyline, which kicked off over a dispute about the X-Man Hope Summers and the return of the Phoenix Force. But in the aftermath of that crossover, Cap decided that the Avengers have never done enough for their mutant brothers, and so he elected to create a team that combined the Avengers and the X-Men. And so the Uncanny Avengers team was born. 
which in the actual pages of the comics is now known as the Avengers Unity Division. In 2013, things had gotten cosmic again for the Avengers. Avengers Volume 5 launched, and Cap led a mission to Mars to confront a being called Ex Nihilo as part of the publisher's Marvel Now initiative. Ex Nihilo's mission was to create a perfect version of mankind, no matter the cost. Although the Avengers stopped him, they would eventually recruit his help to face a bigger threat later. Another big storyline at the time involved the so-called Superior Spider-Man. As part of a larger plot, Dr. Octopus swaps his mind with Peter Parker's and tries to prove that he's the superior crime fighter. Not knowing the situation, the Avengers didn't approve of this Spider-Man's harsher methods, and it eventually led to him leaving the team. Luckily, Peter eventually regained control of his body. Also in 2013 was an offshoot of the Avengers called Avengers AI, led by Hank Pym and Vision. This team was formed to stop a rogue computer virus and consisted of Ultron's son, Victor Mancha, and a reprogrammed Doombot. Nightmask and Starbrand were characters created for the new universe, Marvel's short-lived series from the 80s that featured a universe that was completely separate from the main Marvel continuity. But in 2013, they were reinvented for the 616 continuity, eventually joining the Avengers during the Cosmic Infinity event, which saw the Avengers unite the universe against an ancient race called the Builders. Meanwhile, a new version of the Mighty Avengers debuted during Infinity. This team would fight against Thanos and his elite group of combatants called the Black Order. While the main Avengers team was away in space, this group of villains decided to invade Earth. Their goal? Finding the Infinity Gems. Even more recently, Sunspot formed another elite group of Avengers comprised of both old and new members. These heroes were tasked with finding out why the different universes were colliding with each other an event that will reshape the entire Marvel Universe. And finally, while the Avengers have had a number of active members in the 616 continuity, there are also several honorary members as well. Although they do not have the full Avengers membership, these heroes were given a special status to honor their acts of great courage or sacrifice. And so the evolution of Earth's Mightiest Heroes continues as the team adapts to new challenges. Marvel is already working on an all-new, all-different Avengers with new fan favorites like Miles Morales, Spider-Man from the Ultimate Universe, and Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel among the ranks. Expect that team to debut in 2015 when the Avengers will, once again, assemble. What we are going to do here today is uh, stand up, sir. This is going to be a standard pat down. I'm going to take these hands and put them on your body 
Like this? I understand. All how. right. Okay, great. Here we go. Oh, yeah. This is excellent. Oh, fantastic. Sir, you have an outstanding physique. Okay. Get these arms up for me. Could you spread those feet apart? Excellent. Good. Great. All right. You're giving me the lady Sir, version. Sir, uh, can you please put your arms up against the wall for me? Okay. Thank you. All the way up there. And uh, feet... Spread wider, just a little wider. Okay. Excellent. This is called the cheek jack. Okay. Oh my god. All right, I felt it too. And... Okay. We. This is so humiliating. Would you like some wine? Wine. You guys have wine here? I like to uh, offer my customers, you know, some wine to make the pat down a I'm little more enjoyable. Not your and customer. Look, I don't need... Oh, okay. yes. Oh, mama's going to get all up in those nooks and crannies. <laughs> Here's okay. your wine, sir. Look, I don't want any wine. I just want to oh, get on no the plane. Problem. Don't mind if I do. I think we could just speed this up a little. All right, <clears> sir. <throat> please, like I said, no speaking. And uh, the next thing that I'm going to do with you if you'd keep those up like that, great. All right, it's called the groin check. I will place my hand on your hip. Take the other hand and gently but sturdily put it inside this thigh here. And we go down and up and down and up okay. and down and uh, okay, that's that's enough. You know what? That's uh, okay. Stop. What is it, sir? I'm I'm very uncomfortable with this, and I would like to speak to your supervisor. That is not a problem, Conrad. Yes, isn't it? Uh, this gentleman is having some difficulties with the stricter policies. I'm just feeling I'm feeling very violated, and I would like to just get on my plane already. So. Sure. Of course, a lot of our passengers have had some complaints about the new policies, but I can assure you that. Linda is a consummate professional, and if it'll make you feel more comfortable, sir, I can stay in the room as a supervisor. Sure, yeah, I guess. All right, excellent. That's perfect, because uh, I like to watch. Go ahead, Linda. All right, here we go. So if you can put these arms apart for me, thank you. And there we go. Oh. There it is. I'm not hiding anything in my bosom. Shh, please don't speak. Make her feel special. Get into it a little. You have unbelievably generous arms, sir. Keep them out. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Alright. Oh yeah, Linda. There it is. There it is. Alright, are we done now? This is so bizarre. I just have one more thing. Whoa, 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 okay, alright. Oh, all right. oh whoa. Conrad, uh, you, you might want to come around for this. Okay, it's here. hard as a rock. <laughs> An explosive device. That device is not mine. Yeah! Nice work here today, sir. Excellent bust there, Linda. Speaking of an excellent bust. Victory pat down. Why not? Tell me how you like it. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're getting good. You're getting good, mamacita. trained by the best. Mm. Let's play hide the box cutter. 
Hey, thanks for watching the video. Last week we got a lot of comments saying that clowns were creepy and dolls were creepy. I don't see what's so creepy about these. I want to sleep in your bed. This week's comment question is, how do you take your airport security check? Pat down or body scan? I do the body scan because it makes me feel like Dr. Manhattan. Watch the other Comedy Thunder videos or Roscoe will come to your house and perform at your birthday party. Because people have surgery and high drugs in the solar plexus. I didn't have any surgery. Okay! <laughs> Welcome back. So we're talking about the origin of the Marvel Universe, Marvel Comics, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Some of my favorites, or spe specifically my favorite from the universe, Spider-Man. Spider-Man has been around forever. He's older than I am, for goodness, and he, um, he's influenced so many. I mean, it's been told that he's the highest paid grossing um, superhero. Well, let me, let me, uh, I want to spread a lie. Let's, uh. While I'm talking here, I'm going to search and give you the correct answer because I think he might be the highest gross, grossing superhero as far as merchandises and everything, but let's see. What superhero? It's raining over here. It's been raining since yesterday. What superhero grosses... comes up so I say spider-man okay that's not this isn't what I expected to come up it's talking about box offices and says uh, since we're in the Marvel universe I might as well this is a this he is Marvel Black Panther it says Black Panther has become the highest grossing superhero of all time after the uh, Marvel blockbuster surpassed previous mark set by the Avengers in March 24, 2018. So, but that's not what I was looking for. Highest grossing superhero movies. See, this is not what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for movies, but let's see. Da, 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 highest grossing superhero films. Why is it just giving me films? Anyway, I'm sure one of you guys will know the answer. You can uh, shoot me a message on my message board, politicalbombshow.cf, and leave it on my message board there. Highest grossing superhero franchise. This is probably what I, what I needed to look at. Let's see. Huh. All right, so this is interesting. Let's see. This is um learn experience for me. This is why radio is live. Never things never go to plan by as planned, right? It's live here. There's no editing. Okay, so I'm gonna read. What do you think the top ten highest grossing superhero franchises are in the U.S.? Okay, well you don't have to guess. I'm going to tell you. 
I'm going to tell you. Let's see what's what state is this article? This was well now this is not really a fair. This is old. This is 2017. As so as of July 2017. The highest growth is the starting from the from the least and I guess from the number one, I guess is how it's gonna be, I think. So number ten is Thor. 417 mil 317,200. So that's that for that. That's a pretty chump change. How the films stack up. Thor, The Dark World in 2013 had grossed 218 mil 709,200. And Thor in 2011 had only grossed 198 million 608. So as you can see, it uh, as it got more popular and, and people loved the the movie, more people went out to see it. The Fantastic Four, which is all of these are noted. The the first two of the top not top ten in 2017 are you notice that they're Marvel. So, I mean, even though this Fantastic Four it's Marvel, but they didn't make this movie because they sold the rights to. I still don't haven't figured out, but four hundred forty-two million nine fifty-six seven hundred for that one. Number eight. Number eight is the Guardian of the Galaxy. Again, still Marvel. So I'm still really in the theme because we're talking Marvel. Seven hundred forty-eight mil five twenty-four two hundred, and then we have. Number seven, Captain America, eight hundred eighty-five mil seven eighty-nine five hundred. Moving down the line, we have number six is the Avengers, uh, uh, the original one, because we we all know that Infinity Wars just broke and smashed everything to bits. But anyway, the original Avengers on the number six in twenty seventeen that was a one million one fifty two this million no this is billion one billion one hundred fifty two million eight oh seven nine hundred so that's a billion um number five we have Iron Man you could read all this stuff for some for yourself but this is not really what I was looking for we are we have to get to down here to number four Superman, something from DC, finally on the list. Then uh, Spider-Man is number three here. And then you have X-Men, number two. Okay, I don't understand. I have X, this saying X-Men, but they're showing a picture of Deadpool. Why are they showing a picture of Deadpool? I have no idea. No idea at all. And number one was is still is Batman. So yeah, this isn't really what I was looking for. I completely just but just screwed it up. This isn't like what I wanted. I wanted to know as far as the most valuable as far as uh valuable comic book movie franchise, not the movies. Yeah, I'm not, I'm done trying to find this. It's killing me. 
anyway, we're going to move on to Spider-Man. I want, like I said, he's my favorite of Marvel. And I want to um, to dedicate some time here on his origin, Peter Parker origin. Then after that, I'm going to uh, focus on what I didn't know, the many different Spider-Man that exist out there. I had no clue. So we'll play that as well, and then I'll give my comments on that. But we will start off with the origin of Spider-Man. And we'll p play, play some throwback music from the 1960s theme of Spider-Man. And then right after that, we'll go right into the origin. Sulky, over-bulky, kinda hunky superhero A two-fisted and electrically transistored superhero An exotically neurotic and aquatic superhero The viral superheroes have arrived Superpowered from the forehead to the toes Watch them change their very shape before your nose Arcane striking superhero change to Viking superhero A humping and real swinging shield clinging superhero They're the latest, they're the greatest, ultimatest superheroes The Marvel superheroes have arrived! Welcome to WatchMojo.com and today we will explore the comic book origins of Peter Parker otherwise known as Spider-Man who is Spider-Man? He's a criminal, that's who he is. As with most comic book characters, there are often reimaginings and different versions to a character's past. We've chosen to primarily follow the storyline which unfolded in 1962's Amazing Fantasy number 15, which was expanded upon in 1978's Amazing Spider-Man number 181. Peter Parker was far from being the superhero type when he was first introduced. A teenage science nerd who was bullied at school, Peter lived with his Aunt May and Uncle Ben. Though teenage life was frustrating for him, his world was turned upside down when he was bitten by a radioactive spider at a science exhibit. Wait. Thanks. While walking home, Peter discovered that the spider bite had given him powers such as a sixth sense that he would later dub his spidey sense and the ability to climb walls. Peter also noticed a sign advertising $100 to anyone who could stay in the ring for three minutes with a wrestler named Crusher Hogan. Wearing a mask to protect his identity in case he lost, Peter entered the competition and discovered more of his powers, such as his super strength and agility, and used them all to defeat Hogan. Back at home, he built himself web shooters that he attached to his wrists. Together with a costume that he sewed for himself, he took on the name Spider-Man. However, it wasn't crime fighting that he had in mind, it was fame. Peter began to use his powers to become a TV star, wowing audiences with his amazing feats that required no special camera effects. On his way out after a show on one fateful evening, Peter, while still in costume, allowed a thief to run past him. When the pursuing police officer asked Peter why he didn't intervene, he shrugged it off claiming that his only concern was himself. Hey, man, stop! Come on! 
Somebody stop that guy! Hey, kids, little help. Not my policy. When he returned home, his Aunt May and Uncle Ben had bought him a new microscope as a gift, reminding him that he did in fact care about them as well, although he was indifferent to the rest of the world. Just as Spider-Man was becoming a national sensation, Peter returned home to discover that his beloved Uncle Ben had been shot and killed by a burglar. Uncle Ben, Uncle Ben, call an ambulance! Someone call an ambulance, Uncle Ben, Uncle Ben! Dressed as Spider-Man, Peter chased down and cornered the criminal, only to discover that he was the same thief that he had let escape a few nights before. Realizing that he'd indirectly caused the death of his uncle, he learned that with great power comes great responsibility, and decided to dictate the rest of his life to fighting crime. In 1963, Spider-Man would appear again, this time in his own comic book series titled The Amazing Spider-Man. This series would see Spider-Man battle hundreds of foes, including classic villains like Dr. Octopus, the Green Goblin, the Rhino, the Sandman, Kraven the Hunter, and Venom. The series would also follow the growth of Peter Parker, from high school through college and beyond, with special emphasis placed on his job as a photographer for the Daily Bugle, his relationship with his Aunt May, and his romantic relationships, particularly with Gwen Stacy and Mary Jane Watson, one of the most famous comic book love triangles. When things in Peter's life were going well, however, tragedy always seemed to strike. This is perhaps best exemplified in The Amazing Spider-Man number 121, when the Green Goblin murders Gwen Stacy, Peter's girlfriend at the time. Much like Uncle Ben, this event was indirectly caused by Spider-Man himself, as it was him catching Gwen as she fell from a bridge that resulted in her neck breaking from the shock. Gwen! No, please, please! This was the main reason why Peter maintained a secret identity throughout the years, to protect those closest to him. Clearly, this didn't seem to work very well, but you gotta give him points for trying. The memory of Uncle Ben was always there to pick up Peter at his lowest point, however, especially in The Amazing Spider-Man number 50, when Peter decides to quit being Spider-Man. One night, Peter heard a night watchman crying out for help and saves him. The man reminded Peter of Uncle Ben, and the painful memory helped convince him to become Spider-Man once again. Like all comic book heroes, Spider-Man has gone through numerous reimaginings, perhaps none more prominent than the Ultimate storyline, which intended to be a modernized version of the classic character. The origin story is changed slightly as Peter is bitten by a biologically enhanced spider while visiting Oscorp Laboratories on a field trip with school. Many of his villains, such as the Green Goblin, were also altered throughout this storyline to make them more modern. This series focused more on Peter's trials and tribulation in high school, particularly his on and off again relationship with Mary Jane. Since his debut, Spider-Man has appeared in several animated television series, including the campy 1960s show Spider-Man, Spider-Man, what did you expect, Peter Pan? An edgier 1994 animated series, and 2008's critically acclaimed The Spectacular Spider-Man. So there's your history lesson on Peter Parker, the Spider-Man that I um, that was introduced to me in my era. So I want to talk about, speaking of that, alternate versions of Spider-Man because that's it was something I did not know of. So I definitely want to um, 
talk about that because I didn't know there were so many Spider-Mans. It's it, it's crazy. Like I knew about different versions of Superman. Um, you know, I knew about different versions as far as when he had all the all black suit and stuff like that. But I didn't know that Spider-Man had so many um alternate versions of himself. But rather than sit here and try to explain it to you, let's move to a clip here that can explain it a lot better than I would. Thought it was a good way to close out Heroes Month. I do want to mention, however, there's a ton of different versions of Spider-Man, especially after the somewhat recent Spider-Verse event. With that said, there is no way I will be able to mention every single solitary version of Spider-Man. So there's no need to say, you forgot one, Eris, because I didn't forget. I just can't talk about every single version of Spider-Man because there is so many of them, but I will try to talk about a good amount of them, so hopefully I mentioned some of your favorites. But without any further ado, let's talk some Webhead. Let's kick this off with the Spider-Man everyone in the world knows, the classic Earth-616 and or original Spider-Man Peter Parker. He first appeared in Amazing Fantasy 15 in August of 1962, and since then has become one of the top three most recognizable superheroes in the entire world. Over the years, this version of Peter Parker has donned many different Spider-Man costumes besides his classic red and blue. Some of my favorites being the Iron Spider suit, which was given to him by Tony Stark during Civil War, his stealth costume or big time costume, which he created to combat the Hobgoblin Sonic Screams. The Future Foundation costume, which was given to Spider-Man upon joining the Future Foundation as part of Johnny Storm's Last Will and Testament. His spider armor, when the new Enforcers attacked New York using high caliber firearms, Spider-Man created this spider armor suit. My favorite out of his different costumes over the years is his black symbiote costume, which as we all know, eventually went to Eddie Brock, creating Venom. After Spider-Man removed the symbiote suit, his girlfriend at the time, Black Cat, made a non-living duplicate, as she thought it was sexier than his red and blue suit. And let's face it, if Black Cat thinks it's sexier, you listen. And lastly, you have his most recent costume that will make its comic debut in October, which we were given a sneak peek of a few weeks ago. Spider-Man writer Dan Slott said the things this suit will be able to do and the innovations that Peter Parker has put into the suit will be astounding. Needless to say, I'm very curious to see the suit in action. Moving on from the original Earth-616 Spider-Man, we have Ultimate Peter Parker Spider-Man, or more specifically Earth-1610 Spider-Man. Ultimate Spider-Man is a modernized reimagining of Marvel's long-running Spider-Man comic book franchise as part of its Ultimate Marvel imprint. So much stay the same with this version of Peter Peter Parker Spider-Man, with various changes here and there to update the character. This Peter Parker was later killed, however, and we got a new Ultimate Spider-Man, Miles Morales, which is actually one of my favorite versions of Spider-Man. Miles discovers spider powers of his own after he was bitten by a spider 11 months before Peter's death, and he uses these powers to be the best superhero he can be. It was recently revealed that he will become the main Marvel Universe's Spider-Man this fall, which I'm super excited for. Moving along to some clones, we have the first successful clone of Spider-Man who was created by the Jackal, and that clone would be Kane. He has since been cured of his cellular degeneration and currently acts as the new Scarlet Spider wearing that awesome black and red costume. Then you have Ben Riley, the second clone of Spider-Man who was also created by the Jackal. He is most widely known as the first Scarlet Spider who wore that blue hoodie. I actually really like his costume and always have, and I'm not really sure why, it just looks really cool to me. Riley later replaced Peter Parker for a time as Spider-Man, wearing a costume that was a fresh take on the classic red and blue Spider-Man suit. Keeping this train of Spider-Man moving, we have a favorite of mine, Spider-Man 2099. In the year 2099, Miguel O'Hara's boss secretly got him addicted to a drug. Miguel tried to cure himself, but of course the experiment went wrong and he was granted spider-like powers. This futuristic Spider-Man has different powers from the original webhead, like organic webbing and retractable talons. I also like how this is basically just the equivalent of the futuristic Batman, Batman Beyond, even though Spider-Man 2099 was first. 
which I guess technically means Batman Beyond is the equivalent of Spider-Man 2099. Next, we have Spider-Man Noir from Earth 9214. This alternate take on the Spider-Man mythos is set in 1933 during the Great Depression. Peter Parker tragically discovered the mutilated body of his Uncle Ben, killed in retaliation by one of New York City's businessmen for organizing a strike on sweatshops. One day, a spider statue breaks open and releases a horde of spiders. One of the spiders bit Peter, causing him to pass out and dream of a spider god. After waking up, Peter discovered he possessed arachnid superpowers. So he donned a black Spider-Man-like suit with a trench coat, vest, and sometimes fedora and became Spider-Man Noir. We also have Spider-Ham. Peter Porker was a spider that resided in May Porker's basement, who was a goofy animal scientist. She invented an atomic hairdryer and after using it, she went into a fit of hysteria and bit Peter. Peter ended up becoming a human-like pig just like May, but retained his abilities as a spider and became Spider-Ham. Clearly this is a ridiculous concept, but it's meant to be. Plus, it's funny. And who doesn't like to laugh? I like to laugh. Moving along yet again, there's Cosmic Spider-Man. When a lab accident granted Spider-Man the Unipower, his costume was cosmetically changed into the Captain Universe outfit by the Unipower. This version of Spider-Man is godlike, meaning he is extremely powerful. Like, extremely powerful. Then we have another Spider-Man, Old Man Spider-Man. This Spider-Man was actually Ezekiel Sims, who had presumably the same origin or history as his Earth-616 counterpart. Until he became Spider-Man and started using a similar outfit as the Peter Parker from Earth-312-500. There's William Braddock, aka Spider-Man. Man UK, who you guessed it, is the British version of Spider-Man. There's Mangaverse Spider-Man, or just Manga Spider-Man. In the Mangaverse, Peter Parker is the last member of the Spider-Clan of ninjas and has been taught martial arts by his sensei, Uncle Ben. After Ben's murder by Venom, an underling of the Kingpin, Peter starts to train in secret so he will be strong enough to exact his revenge. This Spider-Man develops the unexpected ability to shoot webbing, which surprises him entirely. On Earth 2149, we have Zombie Spider-Man. On this Earth, he became a zombie, which led to him eating his wife Mary Jane and Aunt May. In summary, he ate the two people he loved the most. That's a bad day. Then we have a Spider-Man most of us know from the 90s Spider-Man animated series cartoon, Six-Armed Spider-Man. In an effort to eliminate his powers, Peter concocted a potion that instead caused him to grow four extra arms. He then visits his only possible confidant, Dr. Kurt Connors, and fights Morbius the Living Vampire. Although the stress of confronting Morbius makes Connors transform into the Lizard. Eventually, Spider-Man and Connors brew an antidote that turns them back to normal. You have Man-Spider. Man-Spider is a monstrous version of Spider-Man, usually resembling a giant humanoid spider clad in shredded remnants of Peter's costume. There's Spider Doppelganger, who was an evil, near-mindless duplicate of Spider-Man that was created by Magnus during the battle known as the Infinity War. This six-armed creature was one of many doppelgangers created by Magnus during this conflict. The doppelganger possesses Spider-Man's strength, speed, wall-climbing abilities, and spider-sense, and also has six arms, claws, fangs, and the ability to produce his own razor-edged webbing. Freaking cool, I know. Then we have a combination of Spider-Man and the Hulk which gave us Spider-Hulk in Web of Spider-Man issue 70. And it's exactly what you think it is. It's Spider-Man with Hulk-like powers. It didn't last long, but it was definitely awesome to see. Another Spider-Man would be Aaron Aikman from Earth 31411. Aikman was a scientist working for a medical center specializing in the medical application of insect venoms. When he was 24, Aaron secretly underwent an experimental treatment that merged his DNA with that of a genetically altered spider, giving him superhuman abilities. Building a suit of cybernetic armor to augment his powers, Aaron became a Spider-Man to combat the supervillain Red-Eye. There's also Indian Spider-Man. He was a poor Indian boy who lived in a village but then moves to Mumbai with his Aunt Maya and Uncle Bim to study after getting a half scholarship. His parents died some years ago and the other boys at his school teased them and beat him up. Chased by other kids, he encounters an ancient yogi who gives him the power of a spider to fight the evil that threatens the world. While discovering his powers, he refuses to help a woman being attacked by several men. He leaves the place but comes back when he hears his uncle's cry, who was stabbed when he tried to help the woman. Thus he understands with great power comes great responsibility. We have Spider-Man Rain. 
the story has been compared to Batman The Dark Knight Returns, a comparison which Marvel has also quoted when promoting the book. Because the two stories both revisit aged heroes after the end of their careers. One of the things most notable about this story is that the story implies Spider-Man gave Mary Jane cancer due to prolonged exposure to his radioactive man fluids. That's not even a lie. You could read it for yourself. Then there's Blood Spider-Man. Very little is known about the man who became Blood Spider. What is known is that he was trained by Taskmaster and is a member of an evil version of the Avengers. And the last Spider-Man I'm going to talk about, because again, I can't mention every single Spider-Man that's ever been made, is Superior Spider-Man. While visiting a dying Otto Octavius, Peter suddenly had his mind swapped with Otto's, allowing Otto to live and run around in Peter's body. But just before Peter died, Otto discovered the true meaning of with great power comes great responsibility, via Peter's heroic memory. So he decided to live up to Peter's legacy and become the superior Spider-Man. Otto did all he could, but his violent ways of punishing criminals quickly drew ire from everyone around. And while he thought he was doing good, in reality he was depleting people from their freedom and allowing some people to get away, eventually forming an army out for revenge. Led by the Green Goblin, the army attacked and Otto realized his mistakes. When it was revealed that Peter's consciousness still existed within his body, Otto sacrificed himself, allowing Peter to be the true superior Spider-Man. And that, my comic conrads, is what I think is a decent list of some of the many alternate versions versions of Spider-Man, but again, I couldn't talk about all of them, so I'm sorry if I didn't mention some of your favorites. So there you have it from Variant Comics. They explained it very, very, very well. I couldn't have done that because I'm not an expert in that field. They are, so thank you Variant Comics for that. Very uh, good stuff there. So what I want to talk about now, which is... Uh, I guess it became controversial, some put it very controversial, and it says here why Miles Morris is loved and Riri Williams is hated. Now those names to some of you may mean something, to me it didn't, didn't mean a thing, I have no idea who they were until I researched this and obviously um, the uh, Miles Morales, I was introduced to that. It looks like a, some type of a movie, uh, animated movies coming out. So it threw me back, which brought me to research. And who is this? Why is this black man pretending to be Spider-Man? It was the first first thing that came to my mind. Because I was like, the only Spider-Man I know is Peter Parker, and he's white. That's the only Spider-Man I grew up on. So it wasn't that I wouldn't have accepted him because he was different. It's just that... That's not the Spider-Man that I knew, for instance, you know, if I saw, let's see, you know, like, you know, like in, in the UK, there's a lot of uh, Middle Eastern, the Muslim there now, and I've been watching James Bond movie ever since I can remember, and when you think of James Bond, you think of, of, of a British spy, and he's, he's a white guy, that's just who James Bond is. What if they took James Bond and now wanted to pander to Muslims and made him Middle Eastern? I wouldn't watch that either. That I would reject it because that's not James Bond. I've always known James Bond to be a white actor and, I mean, a white spy, British spy, and that's who I relate to with James Bond. It's the same thing that, that pretty much how I feel about... Um, about Spider-Man, like, I was thinking about it, and it just got me thinking, I would, all these years, I've never liked Eminem, not the not the candy, I love the Eminem, I'm talking about the rapper, I've never liked him, and 
only after researching for this segment and thinking about it, maybe I didn't like him because I thought that he was crossing over into what's a predominantly black um, genre of music, and I probably rejected him. But I don't think that's the reason, though. I mean, I could have been in part, but very little. I think I just didn't like his content, the things he was he was he uh, talks about. I especially don't like him now politically either. So, yeah. Um, let's play a little bit of um, some reasons why Miles Morales is loved, which I never even knew him. I don't know if I'm going to go watch the movie because I'm just not... I mean, it looks good. Don't get me wrong. I mean, maybe by the time it comes out, I'll get over it. But I just... All, when I think Spider-Man, I think Peter Parker. I don't think of anyone else. So it's... Maybe by the time the movie comes out, or maybe someone can tell me why I should watch it. But um, and the Riri Williams, I I have to look that one up. I don't know. I don't know anything about Riri Williams. So anyway, let's play this and let me get your comments. Marvel's recent push for diversity in comics has gotten equal parts backlash and praise, but one of the more contentious decisions is a character named Riri Williams. Now, it's not uncommon to hear people say that characters like Kamala Khan and Miles Morales are diversity done right, whereas Riri just isn't. Now, I am by no means saying that Riri is a great character. In fact, she's probably my least favorite of Marvel's recent editions, and she has a lot of problems from a storytelling perspective. But I think it's a little bit interesting that a lot of the major criticisms that she gets are the same ones that Miles Morales first got when he was introduced. So I want to take a look at both characters side by side and figure out what the real issue is and why Miles Morales gets a free pass while Riri is seemingly demonized. So let's take a look. So why compare these two in particular? Well, Miles and Riri have much more in common than just the color of their skin. In fact, they were both created by the same guy. Brian Michael Bendis. I feel that since both characters come from the same writer at the same company, this makes figuring out what works and what doesn't work for the respective characters a lot easier. If you spend even a small amount of time in the online comic book community, it's not hard to find backlash against Riri. However, it seems like after a while, the major complaints boil down to three seemingly universal points. She was made to pander to minorities, she's an unknown kid replacing a main established character, and of course, she's a Mary Sue. Miles Morales, on the other hand, is seen as a strong character that has become a staple of the Spider-Man mythos and a major name in Marvel Comics as a whole, but he literally embodies all of those complaints as well. Let's start off with the pandering. Both characters' origins have one thing in common, Bendis' strong desire for there to be more diversity in comics, especially for his two black adopted daughters. After Miles Morales' first appearance in Ultimate Fallout No. 4 in 2011, Bendis said in an interview with USA Today regarding his children, quote, wouldn't it be nice for them to have a character or hero that speaks to them as much as Peter Parker has spoken to so many children? That right there pretty much cements that a big reason that Miles was created was to push diversity. And dude, there was backlash. When Marvel gave the exclusive reveal to USA Today, the comments were basically the same ones that you'd see on Twitter and YouTube comments about the current era of Marvel. 
Things like more politically correct stupidity, if the Spider-Man series I read in the Sunday papers ever changes from good old white Peter Parker, I'll simply cease to read it. If the PC nuts want to have superheroes who represent other ethnic groups along with various sexual perversions, then let them create new ones from scratch and leave our time-cherished traditional heroes alone. And shame on Marvel Comics. This is not diversity, this is a disgrace. Spider-Man was Peter Parker, and Peter Parker was white. Create a new character if you want to prove that Marvel Comics is diverse. Minorities are typically less than 18% of the population, but they seem to get nearly 100% of the history. Why should white children not have a comic book hero that they can identify with? But that was 2011, and although things were heated, it's not nearly as toxic as the more modern era of Marvel Comics. So how did we get here? Well, 2014 was where things started to change thanks to a delightful character named Kamala Khan. Kamala was a brand new Pakistani character who took over the mantle of Miss Marvel, a B-list superhero, but was still significant enough to make a splash, and man oh man, was it a splash. Kamala's Miss Marvel series was a huge success, going so far as to get seven printings. That is super rare, even for big established A-list heroes and massive crossover events. Kamala became a big deal for Muslim, Pakistani, and female readers, along with actively standing up against bigotry and hate. In fact, people seeing themselves in Kamala and taking pictures aligning her face in the debut cover became a minor movement. Hell, even I took part in it. Because of her success, it seemed like Marvel wanted to make Lightning Strike twice or more, and they introduced a new Latino ghostwriter in the form of Robbie Reyes, along with having Jane Foster and Sam Wilson taking up the mantles of Thor and Captain America respectively, all in the same year. Your mileage might vary as per the perceived quality of these characters, but it's clear that Marvel's push for diversity directly followed Kamala's success. However, Backlash was usually focused on specific characters, but by the time that 2016 rolled around, vocal naysayers focused on critiquing Marvel's diversity push as a whole. In an interview with Sci-Fi in 2016, Bendis commented saying, quote, It's not a process, it's just a bunch of writers and artists and editors making comics that reflects the world they live in. Really though, that doesn't change the fact that many fans were upset, but I find myself agreeing a lot with something Bendis said in an interview with Newsarama in 2011. Not everybody wants the same thing. Not any one culture or sexuality wants the same thing out of their comic books. I know that can be distressing for some, but that's what's cool, and that's why there are so many different comic books. Plenty of people will say that mentality is pandering, but honestly, I feel like that's too strong of a word, at the very least for Miles and Riri. I mean, one of the main reasons Bendis created the characters was his desire to reflect his real world and create characters that his daughters could look up to. To me, that doesn't seem like pandering. That seems like writing what you know in much the same way that most of Marvel's books take place in New York because that's where most writers lived when creating them. Not everybody wants the same thing, and while some fans have been more than vocal about their dislike for diverse characters, there's no doubt that these heroes have meant a lot to people in the black community, with dozens of people cosplaying as Miles and Riri, and some MIT students even created a short fan film about Riri. For the most part, they've resonated with their target audience. If that's pandering, then so what? If people like them, then what's so bad about letting people just like the things that they like? This brings me to the next major criticism that Riri is constantly getting, that she's a Mary Sue. For those who aren't familiar, a Mary Sue is an insult to a character, but what it actually means isn't that well defined. TV Tropes tries to broadly define it as when a character is overly important in a story, overly skilled, or over-idealized. 
sense. The problem, though, is that it's so broad that pretty much every fictional character can fall into it, which is why it seems like the modern definition boils down to character I don't like, but by using a technical term that my criticism looks like it has more validity. It can be easily argued that Spider-Man and Iron Man are Mary Sue's. After all, a lot of the Marvel Universe seems to revolve around Peter Parker, he is constantly hooking up with very hot girls, and he's still super duper smart. Tony Stark, on the other hand, is one of the smartest and richest people on the planet, and owns a massive conglomerate. If the characters that Miles and Riri are replacing can already be defined as Mary Sue's, then why would it matter if they're just being swamped out with other ones who just happen to be a bit younger? To me, it seems like people would argue there are varying degrees of Mary Sue-ness, and what makes Riri more of one than Tony is the third major complaint about her that she's an unknown kid replacing a main established character. First of all, she's not replacing Iron Man. Her name is Iron Heart. Publication title does not always equal hero name. However, if you're talking about replacing the main established character of the series with a brand new character, then didn't Miles do the exact same thing? Hell, I'd argue that Riri was less of an unknown character than Miles. I mean, she actually interacted with Tony Stark before becoming Ironheart, and sort of got his blessing to carry on when Tony gave her an AI version of his digital consciousness. While Miles did eventually get the blessing of both the main universe and ultimate universe Peter Parker's, he took up the mantle of Spider-Man without knowing anyone in the established Spider-Man mythos. While Riri worked, Wow, that is a tongue twister. <clears throat> While Riri worked to build her suit by reverse engineering Tony's scrap, Miles just conveniently got stung by another spider from the same line of experiments as the one that bit Peter Parker. However, I think that's the real reason why Miles works as such a better character. Riri mostly picks up where Tony left off, dealing with his AI Friday and his personal assistant Mary Jane. Yet Miles is a very fleshed out individual with his own world of characters, and is more detached from the legacy of the character that he's replacing. Any character taking over a mantle is going to inevitably be judged in comparison to their predecessor, but the best ones are usually already heavily involved in the mythos, or are separate enough that they can do their own thing. Riri had a bad introduction, there is no doubt about that. She was brought into the Iron Man canon for a bit, but Bendis putting Tony in a coma so quickly after introducing Riri and having her replace him felt a little cheap. It also didn't help that her own bubble of characters was so small that she couldn't really do her own thing, and that she kind of had to just piggyback off of the established Iron Man characters. There's also the fact that you can just tell that Riri is temporary. Miles had the benefit of first being introduced in an alternate universe, so he always felt like he had staying power. After all, they couldn't totally annihilate too many fans by having a different spider man since Peter Parker was still swinging in the main universe. Bendis confirmed that Marvel wasn't planning on making Miles a temporary character, since in an interview with Newsarama following Miles' debut, he said, quote, I know that sometimes things feel a little stunty, especially when something explodes like this, but I can tell you from my heart of hearts that it was story first for years, and once we knew that we had something we were really proud of, absolutely we let people know, and if people want to jump on that story, great. However, Miles Morales didn't just work because he was in an alternate universe. Kamala Khan, for example, always felt like she had staying power, since Carol Danvers, who had the role of Miss Marvel prior, also feels like she's permanently going to stick in her current Captain Marvel role. Especially since Marvel looks like he's going to stay Uncle Ben dead. For Riri, we all know that Tony was going to come back so readers are going to naturally feel less motivated to get interested in her story. She's a decent character and all, but it never feels like Marvel is committed to her in the same sense as Kamala or Miles, and that as soon as Tony gets back, she'll be a background Iron Man character in much the same way as Pepper Potts is in the current continuity. Ultimately though, I feel like the biggest problem people have with Riri is that she's new, because we are constantly seeing the cycle of fanboy rage over new things. 
things. When it comes to nerdy properties, nobody seems to hate new additions more than fans. Miles Morales isn't intrinsically a better character. When he was new, he went through the same cycle of hate that every new diverse character also goes through. Eventually, though, the haters quieted down and Miles was able to win over more readers with quality books. It's clearly paid off with Miles becoming a massively popular character and even headlining the movie Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. The problem is that people by and large are too quick to judge any new characters or changes to their status quo and frequently pass judgment before they're even given a chance to grow as a character. Diverse or not, many fans are comfortable with the state of their hobbies, and most changes scare them, which leads to harsh judgments before they even truly give the change a chance. Riri is far from a perfect character. Again, she is my least favorite of Marvel's new ones. But given the opportunity to grow, or even if handled by a different creative team, she could really turn into something great over time. Yet, as fans keep focusing on the same cycle of negativity that ultimately boils down to nothing, and instead put that energy into more legitimate criticisms, then maybe we can grow as a community, and help push the medium that we all love in a direction that we can all appreciate. Political bombshell. Okay, so, uh, tell us about the new book. What's that? That, is that based off of fiction, non-fiction? Uh, well, no, these books are, are religious books uh, of, a, of a Christian character, and the new book that's coming out is a book on the parables in the New Testament. Advertise on our show and help grow your business by visiting advertisecast.com forward slash 3318. That's advertisecast.com forward slash 3318. We will help your business to grow in leaps and bounds. Visit advertisecast.com forward slash 3318. Grow your business today. Advertise on America's exciting radio podcast. Advertisecast.com forward slash 3318. That's advertisecast.com forward slash 3318 Внимание рейдок поклонников «Моя музыка» теперь в звук, которая доступна в настоящее время в России, Украине, Белоруссии, Молдове, Казахстана, Кыргызстана, Таджикистана, Туркменистана. So, um, am I being closed-minded? I don't think I'm being closed-minded. It's just that, like I said, I mean, some of the, um, the comments that they made, I, I think that's just outrageous where they're saying basically, I don't think it was, well, maybe, I don't know that they, that they, they created these characters because of political correctness. I don't think so because, as you heard what he said there, that the man I forget his name he adopted he has an adopted um, adopted children and he wanted them to have characters that they could relate to. So I think it has more to do with that than anything else. I don't think it has anything to do with politically correctness as far as that's concerned. But I do agree when 
one of the comments basically saying that not in the way how they said it, they said it in sort of a nasty, snide way. I just feel that if um if you want a gay character, don't create a don't create a gay one based on like create a gay Spider Man or gay Superman or gay Batman. Create a completely original gay character because I think it diminishes the original character and it's just not. I feel that's the that's how I feel. It diminishes the original character. So I don't think you should should take an ex- already established character and try to change them. I think that. I mean, if you really like Spider Man that much, then create a similar black character to Spider Man, but don't. Just, you know, don't take Spider-Man that's already established or take Batman that's already established or whoever and make them into to whatever you want them to be, like a gay character or, you know, a black character, a Hispanic character, a Muslim character. Make something original. What's happened to, what happened to original, you know, originality? No one do that anymore? Can't you create and be creative and create something from scratch? Where's all the originators who... Why can't you recreate something that's just as good and just as spectacular instead of just rehashing the same old um the same old thing? I just yeah. I'm still up in the air whether or not I'm gonna go see it or not. Not because it because it's not gonna be a good movie. It probably will be a great movie. I just Peter Parker is who I think of when I think of Spider Man. So I mean, even if let's say for me, let's say they 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 took another white character, and it wasn't Peter Parker. I still would reject it in the same way. So, just in case some of you people who say, "Oh, your Uncle Tom," no, that's not it. If they took another character and he was white, and they named him Daryl Drake, I don't know, I'm just making up a name as as Spider Man. I'm not. I'm gonna reject it just the same because. Daryl Jake, you're no Spider-Man. You're a faker. That's just the way how I look at it. So you could call me what you want. Call me what you want. My feed says here, Avenger 4 Theory, how Tony Stark and Thanos are mirrored. Uh, you probably don't want to. You don't want to hear about this stuff here. You probably haven't even seen Infinity. But I keep up on these things. I like to. I'm like one of these. Uh, these nuts i gotta know what's going on ahead of time well not nut but you know we just like to know it it says avenger 4 theory and the theory is not necessarily gonna be true but uh you know i just like to watch these things so i'm gonna leave it here as i watch some of these on sunday and just relax as it's raining thunderstorming i love it i love thunderstorms when i'm not working but when I have to work in it, I don't like it. So thank you for spending a few minutes with me on this Sunday. And we'll see you next time. Spider-Man, Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, any size, catches seeds, just like flies. Look out, here comes a Spider-Man. Is he strong? Listen, bud. He's got radioactive blood. 